0: Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you, and feel like people are starting to come back from Christmas, and it's great to, to see everybody, so it's good to, good to have you here. I'll bet you when you were waking up this morning, you were going, man, I hope, I just wish that the sermon today is going to be about money man that would just be perfect for me you know I would just love that and so well it is so there you go like I'm just trying to aim to please here so uh, seriously if you're new I know sometimes a new calendar means kind of like new resolutions hey I'm going to go to church more or check out church if that's you I'm glad you're here today would love to meet you. Just want to back up what Rachel said. Um, there's people in the foyer i would love to meet you afterwards. So I'd love to help you get connected here too. But, but we are going to talk about money. And sometimes uh, churches get kind of like put down for that. Um, all they want is your money and all they want is this or that. And um, I feel like sometimes as a church, we, we maybe err on the other side of not talking about it enough. Uh, there are 2,300 verses in the Bible that talk about money. And when Jesus told parables as teaching, you know, as teaching tools, out of his 38 parables, 16 of them are about money. And so, well, why did God in the Bible, why did Jesus talk so much about money? It wasn't because they needed it, right? It's not like, Jesus, go to earth and kind of shake down those people and get some money from them. We're kind of struggling up here in heaven. Like, that's not, that's not the, the deal. Jesus said that um, I, Jesus came down to earth because he wants our hearts. He wants our love. He wants us. And Jesus said that the greatest competitor for our hearts uh, is going to be money. He said you, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other or hate the other and love the one. You cannot serve God and money. So that's, that's why the Bible, that's why Jesus taught so much about money is that he wants our hearts and he wants us. And so we're going to talk about that today. In fact, we were created uh, by God in the image of God. We were created to reflect his image uh, to his creation. And so we're all sinful, and I'll put myself at the front of that. We have all uh, kind of damaged the image of God in us, so we're not, as able, not able to reflect him as we were created to do. But as we understand who Jesus is, as we understand that Jesus came to rescue us and redeem us, to die for our sins, uh, to set us free so that we, be, so we can be in relationship with God again, then we begin to reflect his image more effectively. And there's a phrase we're gonna use this morning of irrational generosity. If you, if you look first, who started irrational generosity? And that was God, And that God moved toward us as sinful, rebellious, ungrateful people who have walked away from him. God moved toward us and sent Jesus to rescue us from our sins so that we could move from being his enemies to being his heirs, from being uh, those who rebelled against him to being his sons and daughters and in his family. That makes no sense. That's irrational. But God was and is irrationally generous with us. And so my desire as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, my desire as a father of a family of children is that, is that first I would be irrationally generous, that I would reflect the way God has treated me uh, with, with, with my time, with my efforts, and with my money. And so as I pray that for me, as I pray that for my family, I also pray for that as a church, that we would be famous for being irrationally generous. Okay, that's that's where I want us. That's where we're going this morning. As we look at the scripture, like we're going to look at how God has been irrationally generous with us, and so kind of our three points are these: number one, uh, greed destroys. We're going to look at a story Jesus told. Greed destroys, but God provides, and that a generous God produces generous people. That's that's where we're headed. Okay. So um, I sometimes do this where I ask you to pray before I preach. I'm going to ask you especially to do that today. That could you pray that you would be ready to hear what God has to say? Because I've, I've sat out there before when somebody has been speaking about money, and I know what my heart can do. It's like, well, what does he know? Or like, well, is he being generous? Or like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm doing pretty good here already. Like, there's so many deflectors that, that on this topic, when God's trying to get into our hearts, I think we really do need to be to be open. And I'll quickly say that this is not an area that I've just totally conquered. And I'll I'll tell you some things along the way. But this is an area that as I have responded uh, where I am in my walk with God and have responded to his promises, God has been incredibly faithful to me. And I still feel like I have a ways to go to continue to be irrationally generous. But in the steps that I have taken, it's, it's not been God's problem. It's been mine, okay? So that's who's talking to you today. So could you pray that God's words would speak clearly to us today, that you'd be ready to hear from God and could you pray that I would, would speak clearly? Pray for me today, too. So if you would pray, then I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So you pray first. Just quietly pray where you are. Pray for me. Pray for God to speak to us today through his word. God, you've been amazingly generous with us, and you are calling us to go to a place in our lives where we reflect who you are to the world around us. So uh, would you do that through your word today? May there be no guilt-tripping, no shaming, Uh, nothing here. Would you remove any distraction? Would you uh, just drop the defenses in our hearts to just listen to you today? Would you speak clearly to me, to my family, and to your people? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start with one of my favorite stories Jesus told. Okay, it's in Luke chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, If you want to use your phone app, you can do that. The verses will also be on the screen, uh, or you can follow the outline in your bulletin, okay? No excuse. I want you to be I want you to be in God's words today, okay? So this is a, this is a fascinating story. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. So Jesus is out, and he's teaching, and he's with the multitudes, with some crowds. Verse 13 starts with, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So there's a family squabble going on and one man's trying to pull Jesus into the argument. Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Like, I love that answer. It's just like, I'm. hey, I'm not jumping into this. Like, I'm not, literally, I'm not your umpire here. I'm not gonna play Judge Judy or whatever you want me to do. Like, I am not going there. So, but then he uses that question to take us into an amazing passage here, an amazing story. But it starts with verse 15. And Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is a really interesting verse. The word covetousness meant a relentless pursuit of more things or more stuff. Like it wasn't craving good things or craving God. It was a materialistic craving. Jesus says, even the way he phrases it, take care and be on your guard I think he's telling us this is a this is a sin, this is a danger that lurks in our hearts, and you've got to be especially careful because it's probably there and you're not seeing it. You've got to be you've got to be cautious, you've got to look, and you've got to dig deep. Okay, that ought to get our attention. Okay, so so that's what he says right away. And then he jumps in to this story. And so verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Boom. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one right there. And we gotta be really clear. Uh, there's nothing wrong that this guy was a good farmer. There is nothing wrong that this guy had big crop that year. There is nothing wrong with that business sense of, hey, let's store this. Let's build bigger barns. Let's, let's expand this is good this is good stuff going there there's nothing wrong in those things this man could have done those kind of things and thought those kind of things and been incredibly righteous you see throughout the scripture there are very wealthy people that god blesses so there's nothing wrong with the abundance there's nothing wrong with the wealth the problem is one of the indicators is look at the personal pronouns and look at the lack of mention of god in in all the things this guy said we only caught a few sentences but just listen as I read it again. How many I, me, my is in this? Okay, just, just listen. So Jesus told the parable, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones. I will store my grain, my goods. I will say to my soul. Like this is all about him. That's one huge mistake. Like sometimes you watch another person's life and like they're going over a cliff and you're going, No, like that that's happening here. And you just feel like if if you understand the biblical concept of wealth and of these big crops, what you long for is this guy would, would instead say, God, you are an amazing God. Look at this land that you've provided for me. It is so fertile. And God, the seed you gave me this year was amazing. Just And the rain came at just the right time. And the people you brought into my life that have taught me how to farm, God, thank you for them. And God, the people, the energy and the health you gave me to to farm this ground this year, you've been gracious to me. And all the workers that came and helped me bring in that huge harvest, God, you're amazing. And then this idea now of building bigger barns, like God, that's, thank you for that wisdom. And now you just long for that and then god would you please use this abundance for your glory god may i tell everyone how good you have been to me like wouldn't that have been a beautiful ending to that story but instead the guy's like me my mine. so there's no picture of god here there's a picture of of a heart that is just wrapped up with greed there's a lack of understanding of the biblical concept that we are stewards that everything we have in this life even the ability to produce wealth is all given to us by God and so all everything on this planet is God's it's his and it's our job to steward it to take care of it and so uh, this guy's missing that completely and the second thing he's missing that just breaks your heart is when he says to his soul soul you can be satisfied now you can eat you can drink you can rest Because why? Because God is good? Because God is faithful? Because God provides? No, it's because of crops and barns and wealth. I heard an analogy this week. It's like we are living on a small speck, like a small rock that's just kind of hurtling through the universe, all right? And at some point, our existence is going to stop. It's like we're going to be kicked off that little speck. And then, what's going to catch us? What what is it that we're relying on? Is it our education, or our job, or our retirement? And like, money can just create a false sense of security and setup and significance and satisfaction. That we can just go, man, this is it. I got it. It's like, no, you don't. Jesus said, "You fool, you fool." What's interesting is um, Jesus. Remember, at the beginning of the parable, he said, "Be on your guard against all forms of." greed and covetousness. He's, he's warning us. You know what? It's kind of like in the summer when we have a tornado watch. Everybody always screws up watch warning. What's it mean? But a watch means the conditions are favorable. And Jesus would say the conditions in our heart are favorable to produce covetousness, to do all these negative things and forgetting God and looking at stuff to satisfy us. And so there's an author name. There's a couple resources I gave you in the outline that I highly encourage you to read. One of them is a book by a guy named Paul Tripp. It's called Sex and Money. What a great title. That'll sell. Just throw that title on there and there you go. But Sex and Money. And he talks about conditions that are in the human heart, kind of like a tornado watch. The conditions are favorable for a tornado. Well, the conditions in our heart are favorable for us to become greedy and covetous. One is ingratitude. so easy for us, uh, to, to, to not say thanks and to not recognize all that God has given us. And these four things, all these four categories all blur together. So you've got a little ingratitude in there. You've got the word need in, in, in brackets here in quotes we need something. Sometimes when you, it's easier to see it in your kids than in you. Like when your kids say, Dad, I need those shoes, or I need, it's like, you don't need that. But then like we go through our day and we're oh man, I need one of those, or I need one of these. Like easier to see, you know, the misuse of need in others than it is to see it in our own lives. But the things we say are needs, are those really needs, are those wants. And so that we got that factor swirling in our hearts. There's also the factor of discontent. It is so easy for us to not be content with what we have. Just like uh, Jesus warned, there's always a constant desire to consume more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. There's something, especially like a two-edged sword with money, is that, is that once you've got it, you've got to have more, and you've got to have more, and you've got to have more, that it will never satisfy you, you will never be content with what you have, is what the scripture teaches us. And so the last one there is envy. That is so, another indicator in our heart, another factor in our hearts that can cause us to be greedy is envy. That it's so easy for us to look at what other people have. And and so they've got more. And one way you you determine this is like, you ask yourself, are you wealthy or not? And I think when we are in our own minds thinking, a lot of times we put ourselves right in the middle. Well, I'm not wealthy because I know a ton of people that have more than me. Um, I am maybe wealthier than a few people, but, but man, I, you know, look at all the people that are out there. So there's, there's an envy, a comparison, and we always compare, wow, like we are never wealthy, we are never too rich, we never have too much. We always, well, no, there's, there's definitely room for me to step up and to step up more. So we've got to watch those factors that fly around in our hearts. And so what money can do, a misuse of money, a love of money can really damage our hearts you know, I just, I told this story, and a lot of people I hadn't heard it yet, but last Sunday night, um, one of our faithful, like, Parfew folks, uh, his name is Dean, works with junior high kids, and they had an afternoon where they were just playing a bunch of games around here and all that, and towards the end of the, end of the time, he started feeling like some chest pressure, and then just some things that weren't quite right, ended up getting an ambulance here, ended up like, by the grace of God, he's still with us today, when we heard what happened when he was in the ER, and even on the way on the ambulance, but just like that, you know, healthy, running around, but yet there was some heart conditions there, and he was here first hour, just praise God, you know, that keep praying for a restoration, but that, that that he's alive. The same thing, is like, we can be so casual about what those negative factors in our hearts can do, that that what greed and covetousness can do in our hearts, money can cause us to forget God. Like if I've got a lot of money, then man, I can be secure in that. What do I need God for? And it's interesting to watch sometimes in your life, like the times of prosperity, are those often the times where you're praying less? Is it the times of need or times of urgency or times of lack? Oh, God, please help us. But so just be careful because money can really push God out of our lives. The second thing is that money can mess with our identity. We start thinking like, okay, if I've got money, if I can drive this, if I can live there, if I can wear this, if I can, you know, have this, then then I feel better about myself. It's dangerous what money can do to our identity. And the third thing is what money can do to our relationships that it really can put us in some weird positions where if you look at people that have more than you, sometimes you can be intimidated by them or feel inferior. But if you look the other direction, people have less than you. Sometimes there's a pride that can well up. Look at what I did, and they can't quite do what I did. And so it really can jack with your relationships and how you see other people. It can really impact marriages, too. They'll say that couples whose marriages failed, when they ask them why, over 90% of them will say that financial issues are one of, the biggest, one of the biggest causes. If you talk to a counselor, like, what are some of the biggest issues of anxiety in people's lives today? It's going to be issues of money, and, and will, do we have enough? Because if we trust in money to do things that only God can do for us, money's always going to fall short. There's going to be insecurity as we trust in money. I was in Ethiopia uh, several years ago um, visiting Yezuleah Mench, the orphanage that we've supported there. And I remember being on a bus with some Ethiopians and the topic of Americans came up and I shared a couple of those things about money as an issue in marriage and that money causes fear and anxiety in Americans. They were just like, what? Like they, they, could not, they couldn't fathom that because I saw where these people lived and I saw how little they have. And they look at us and go, it must be so easy to be an American and have all those things and just say, no, that's because money isn't the answer. Money isn't where... Our heart needs are met. So we have to ask ourselves are we greedy? Are we covetousness? We have to ask. And so Jesus said, Be on your guard. Uh, if you've been around Park for a while, you've probably seen this before. I still, it's a go-to for me. I love to use this, so um, we're going to do it live. There's a website called globalrichlist.org where you just go ahead and type in an in income. So what we have there is Johnson County median income is $55,000, so that's average. If you would say, if you make $55,000 here, you go, well, I'm, I'm average, man. There's so many people that are richer than me, but but go ahead and punch that, Benny, and watch where this shows where you rank. If you make $55,000, this is where you rank globally. You are richer than, do the math, 99.76% of the world. Like 99.76% of the world makes less than you. And we don't think that way. There's, there's just no way. We always put ourselves in the middle. We always, We are not rich. There are people much richer than I am. And so there are many other factors we could point to that there's a good chance that that we are greedy, that we are covetous, that we are holding on to money to do things for us that only God can do. Uh, Again, I'm not a perfect man in this. I'm with you in this, okay? Let's let Scripture keep speaking to us. So now you go to Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Jesus just drops this story on him, okay, about the rich farmer, but then he reminds us quickly behind that that greed destroys, but God provides God provides. Jesus, it's an amazing teaching. Verses 22 to 34, or yeah, uh, 30, 34, he talks about anxiety. He talks about worry. talks about God caring for us. Let me just read some of the verses here. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And then he jumped down a little bit, and he says, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're to eat or what you're to drink or be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Jesus wants us to know you have an incredibly faithful and caring God, who loves to provide for his people. He says, just look at creation. He provides for lilies. He provides for ravens. And you are far more valuable. He will certainly care for you. Look at their splendor. Look at all that he faithfully does for them. And then you are loved and cared for even more. So if we worry, he says, we have no faith. We don't understand. We're not trusting who God is and what God can do. This is a spiritual issue. But he says, the reason that you don't have to be greedy is because you have a God who is generous. You have a God who provides for you. We can trust God because God has met our greatest need. And what's really cool is you continue to follow the story of Christ is he didn't just roll out great sounding teaching like this and everybody made posters out of it and whatever. You know, it's like, oh, isn't that cool? But but he went ahead and he demonstrated God's provision by giving his life for us on the cross. He died for us. Our biggest need was that we've sinned against this God who is gracious and loving and wants to provide. We've sinned against him. We've offended him. And so something had to be done to take care of our sin and to pay for the price of our sin, the penalty of sin. So Jesus came to earth not to take our money, but to give his life, to pay the debt we couldn't pay, a debt he didn't know. He paid it. Uh, and because we couldn't pay it back, we were hopeless. We could not pay back what we owed God. Jesus paid it for us, and so you move, putting your faith in Christ, you move from being God's enemy to being God's heir, from being a rebel to being a son or a daughter, that, that God has proven to us that he is a gracious God, and he has already met our greatest need through Jesus Christ, and now we can live our lives knowing that we have a God who faithfully provides everything we need. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. God, greed destroys, but God provides. And then Jesus ends this passage with kind of a leverage, then a platform for us to be generous. The reason we can be irrationally generous people is that we have a God who is irrationally generous with us. So, verse 32, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love the word little flock. Uh, again, talking about sheep. Sheep's the most defenseless, right, of creation. Uh, slow, kind of stupid. Uh, no teams, like saying, we're the sheep. Like, we're the fighting sheep. It's like, so you are not just sheep, but you're little sheep. He's saying, fear not, little sheep. I would say, fear, sheep. Like, you are on everybody's menu. You're easy to catch. You can't defend yourself. You're hopeless, helpless. You're stupid. Like, good luck. Like, so, but Jesus says, no, fear not, little flock, um, for it is your Father's good pleasure. To give you the kingdom. Guys, again, irrational generosity. Why would God share his kingdom with a little flock? Like there's, it makes no sense, but it does show us the heart of our God is that he's generous and he's gracious with our people. So then, verse 33, out of that leverage, out of that platform of God's provision, he says, Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't go old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love the way, um, I'm sorry to jump around scriptures on you here a little bit, but I love the way Paul summarizes this whole concept in First Timothy chapter 6. I've, in, by the way, in your bulletin, there's just a lot of passages this week. I would encourage you to do a dive into those, to do a dive into what God says about money, about generosity, about his goodness to us. But here's one of those, I just think it just, it's like an exclamation point, slam dunk on what we've just read. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. And by the way, that's us, right? Remember 99.76%, you know, so remember that. As for the rich in this present age, that's us. Charge them not to be haughty. Oh, look what I got. Look what I did. Look what I produced. Don't be haughty. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Let's pause there for a second. I don't want you to hear from me that when God gives you something that he doesn't want you to enjoy it. Like, it's not like, oh, I came into some money this year, or oh, God is blessing what I'm doing. I better feel bad about that. I better be ashamed of that. I better, it's like, no. Like, God gives you things to enjoy. Like, there's, I don't know, Christians, I see pendulum back and forth on this. They can be greedy and just too much of money, but they can also, like, be ashamed and, you know, just enjoy what God has given you. There's joy in that. But, but one way your joys can be enhanced is keep reading. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future. And I love this sentence, this phrase, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. do you love that? Like, I think what God's saying to us is like, okay, there's all these good things that as American Christians today are just constantly around you. Sometimes we have to be snapped to, to be awakened up about what we have. I remember there was a time where somebody from another country, and I'd been to their country many times and saw the poverty there. I thought at that time we are living in a very average house, and we pick this person up from the airport. We're driving in. I push a button, and the garage door goes up, and they go, whoa. Like, you know, like how many of you, we, we have stopped going, whoa, about the stuff that we have. We've got good stuff. But God says, you know what? Even though you've got all this good stuff, what I want you to see is that this isn't it. Like there, there is a life to take hold of that, that, that transcends the stuff that I've given you. Yeah, enjoy what I've given you. Don't be ashamed and beat yourself up like bad me, bad me. I live in America, but like can, can you think about how you can just see what I've given you in a new light and can you kind of push through what I've given you and take hold of life that is truly life by being generous, by being ready to share. It's always cool when secular research discovers what the Bible teaches. Like as Christians, you hear some of these research projects and these studies they came up with, and you go, well, duh, that's what the Bible says. Here's one of those. There's a book called The Paradox of Generosity. It was written by Christian Smith. Uh, he's, a, um, he's a professor of sociology at Notre Dame. And so they did a huge study, just lots of people, and they gauged how generous they were with their money and their time. And then they measured five factors in their lives. Um, purpose in living, bodily health, Um, general happiness avoidance of depression uh, interest in personal growth and across the board they found that the more generous somebody was with time resources money the more generous they were that in all five categories they, they saw a dramatic increase in their lives that the more generous you are the more fulfilled your life is i mean that's the that's jesus right there that's paul take hold of life is truly life but, but the research is there to back that up too. And it's like, whatever. Trust the Bible more than research, right? So, but it's cool when that happens. And so what, what's really cool too is you look throughout the history of the church, you look throughout the, Old Test- the whole New Testament, Old Testament, is that when people take God at his word, um, there's, a, there's another book that's come out recently called Gospel Patrons. Like as you look through the history of Christianity, who are those people who have stepped in behind a movement and have made it happen because they've been generous with what God has given them? So one one example of that is in the fifteen hundreds, the guy named William Tyndale, he studied to learn Latin, Greek, and Hebrew so that he could translate the scriptures into into a common language so that people could understand the Bible. He wanted people to know God by reading the Bible. He had two problems. Number one, it was illegal to do that in his day. And number two, he had no money. Okay, so what do you do with that vision? And what do you do with all that scholarly research? But there was a guy, a lot of people have heard of William Tyndale, but not many people have heard of a guy named Humphreys Monmouth. Hum, Humphrey Monmouth, like whatever, like just, just Humphrey Monmouth. Nobody's ever heard of him, but he caught, uh, he heard of Tyndale's vision and he decided to get behind it and he financed it. So he financed Tyndale's study, research, Publication of the Bible, and then used his connections in the business world to distribute the Bible all throughout England. As a result, Humphreys was, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, Monmouth was arrested, and Tyndale was killed. But it was shortly after that that there was a declaration that one of these Bibles needed to be placed in every parish, every church in England. And over the next uh, the next years that followed, when the King James Version uh, was produced and distributed and became the most influential book in the English-speaking world. A majority of that was taken from Tyndale's work. And so again, as people look back, as history looks back at who did God use to, to help the spread of his word, help the spread of the gospel, used a man named William Tyndale. What we don't hear about that is the very generous patron who got behind that. And it's so cool you see that throughout the spread of the gospel, that wherever the gospel is advanced, there have been faithful and generous people that have aided that response. Um, Again, I'm quick to say that I'm a man, especially coming right off of Christmas, especially, I'm wearing a new coat today, like, especially, like, there's a lot of, like, okay, money is a factor in my life, um, and there are things God has taught me um, as, as I've been faithful, as I've been generous, God has always been faithful to provide for us. Um, I can also say this, that where I have learned about generosity is is through this church. Like, I, I've been in this church for a long time. And so there are many of you that I just know, uh, and I have seen ways with your time, with your energy, with your response to things in my life, with your response to the needs in other people's lives. I know there are some incredibly generous people. I thank God for the privilege of being a part of a, of a body like this where I have been able to see generosity played out. And where I've been over a period of time, been able to see the equation between, now who tend to be the most joyful people that I see and I interact with? And oh yeah, there's a connection there. That person's also just, I see them serving. I see them sharing. I see them meeting needs. Like there's there's a connection. There's one guy last hour that probably has been lit up by Jesus within the last eight or 10 years. He said one way that he knew that Jesus was really doing a work in his life is he just totally flipped his whole view of money. Like it, ten years ago, it was about, mm, but now it's about, and I, 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 that all got started with me thanking him. Like you're, you're one of the guys that I've been learning from, and he goes, well, that hasn't always been the case, but that's what Jesus did in, in my life. So I just feel blessed to be, to be a part of this. And so um, what I want to say too is that when you have that gift of giving or whatever your level of generosity is, God sees what you give. Um, There was, it was back in early 2000s when the whole idea of Parkview stepping into the southeast side of Iowa City was just an idea. It was out there on paper. And we had about 30 students we were working with there, but maybe some ideas about what if we could get the Best Buy building? What if we could set up a ministry center? And there was a guy from Parkview that came in and just listened. We didn't have brochures. We didn't have a lot of slick, like, here's the plan. Just just kind of laid out our heart, and he said, you know what? I've been praying for a long time, and it's about time the local church is doing something that the government's been trying to do for years, and just they can't do without the gospel. So here's $25,000. Why don't that get you started? And then later, I'm going to drop another twenty-five on you in a few months, just to kind of get you going. Like, that's just... That's amazing. And what I, what, what's so interesting about the gift of giving is that if you have the gift of teaching, people see you teach. They go, wow, oh, thank you for that lesson. Or if you have the gift of mercy, oh, thank you. You went to the hospital, you went to their home, you visited them. It's a lot of times this gift of giving that you just don't see, like the Humphreys Monolith, right? You don't see that, you don't hear about that. But God does see. Even when the widow gave her two mites, Jesus made a huge deal out of her sacrifice. God sees your generosity, and God rewards. It was a couple weeks ago. So it was right at the end of 2016. Um, We we use a credit card. We pay off the, we pay it off every month. We don't carry a balance. Easy to pay for stuff. And so um, I was calling in to pay it off for the end of the month, and I recognized the voice on the other side of the phone. It's like, okay. So usually there's a receptionist. Okay, I'll pass you on. Yeah, I need to pay down. Okay. He goes, oh, I can do that for you. And I hear, What's your account number? And so there's something weird about, okay, here's a guy I know that now is going to be looking at, like, everything that, that's in my account. He could have access to any of my accounts, and he's going to see a really high statement from last month. And so you're going to think, wow, the Schillinger's, man, they rack it up. We had to pay for a wisdom tooth surgery and some other stuff, but it was, and Christmas. So all that's going on, and I'm just, like, in my head, I'm going, like, do I feel comfortable with this and all that? That was really kind of cool. I think I'd been studying this and all that. A couple things just calmed me down. First of all, I know this person. It's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like we're not going to hang up and he's going to be guess what it's not going to be that i trust this this guy a lot but the other one is like you know what god sees it all like so what if he and so what if like god someone's going to see what do we make what do we do with it what do we spend and what we do with our money is is one of the clearest windows into what's really going on into your life if you're not tracking your spending um then you're living in the realm of intention you're going to say, oh, this is really important to me. Oh, I'm so into this, or we're so for this. But we can say words, and they're incredibly empty, but it's when you actually see where is your money going that you're going to really see where your heart is going. And I just praise God over the years for those that have been very generous, the gospel patrons that have helped throughout Parfus. So you look throughout the scripture, and you see powerful examples of generosity, irrational generosity. You see Jesus um, giving his life for us. We don't have time for this but in second corinthians chapter 8 there's a group of people called the macedonians they were going through incredibly hard times on their own you got to read about them in first corinthians 8. paul says they begged with me for the chance to give they begged with me for the chance to be generous and when you read their story they were suffering they were going through a lot of hardship and yet they begged to be generous you look throughout church history you look at the early church what happened after the bible was written what happened in the next 100 200 years there's some really cool quotes one is from a roman emperor named julian the apostate wouldn't you love to have that name oh yeah i'm julian the apostate that was this guy's name but he was quoted as saying about christians he said those impious galileans relieve their own poor and ours and there was a roman soldier he was in constantine's army named pacomius And he saw, and he was so moved by Christians who were coming in and bringing food for his soldiers when they were going through disease and famine. Even though they were persecuting Christians, he saw Christians moving toward him to give food to his soldiers. He started asking, what are the beliefs of those people that drive them to be so generous? And as he looked into the message of the cross in Christianity, he himself became converted and became a follower of Christ. You guys, I think we're living in a similar day where people are gonna hear the Christian doctrine today and they're not gonna agree with it. They're not gonna like that there's one God, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the savior. So many things about our faith that repel our culture today. But you cannot argue with irrational generosity, that when people see a people, a family, a man, a church responding with irrational generosity that's going to make people step up and say wait where are you getting that especially in our culture where it's not <laughs> irrational generosity is not in vogue right it's it's keep it's hoard it's store it's make more it's keep more but if we live the other way people are going to start digging into why what motivates you to live to live that way so so here's kind of the heart for me this morning is um, well what about us okay you see through the new testament you see Jesus, you see, the early church. What about us? And I, you, need to, you, you need to hear me on this. Um, my biggest concern as a church is not our ministry fund balance. Okay, God, I feel like God takes care of our needs. I, my biggest desire, my biggest heart for me, my kids, for you, is to make sure that a love of money isn't robbing us from the life that Jesus came to give us, that we're truly taking hold of life that is truly life. So I, I journaled the other day these things about me, and I'm just going to share them with you. Um, are, are these things true? Is there, are these things being sucked out of our lives because of a love for money? How about things like this? What if our lack of joy, our lack of passion, our lack of intimacy with God, our lack of hunger for his word, our tolerance of sin, our lack of love, our marital struggles, our not sharing Jesus with others, what if our not serving or not giving up our time are all indicators that we are serving money instead of serving Jesus? To me, that's a bigger deal. I, I, I wanna be a man that's taking hold of the life that Jesus came to give me, and I don't want a love of money to keep me from that, and then I wish that for you, <laughs> big time, that, that we would be liberated from, from the love of money. There's um, only one guy in this church that knows What anybody gives here, and he does that for tax reasons. Somebody in an organization needs to know that, okay? So that guy's name is Jim. So Jim's the only guy who knows. And so I asked Jim just to kind of, Jim, how's our church doing? Like just if this is a gauge, if there's some things here that could be an indicator of are we taking hold of a life that is truly life? Um, So just asked him. And so here's some things, for example, that uh, 21% of our members, so I'm talking about members, not regular tenders, members, 21% of our members last year gave, gave nothing to our ministry fund. Um, 25% gave less than 100, 48% gave less than 500, that's like for the whole year, not a month. Uh, 17% gave over 5,000, 6% gave 10,000 or more, and that funded 50% of Parkview Ministries. And so again, that's not like a tell-all, but it could be a reflection. And when you look at natural, I'm sorry, national averages and trends, those tend to be somewhere in there. And so again, my, my dream isn't like, oh, ministry, fund, balance, boom. Like it's, my dream is the things I just shared with you from my journal. Like are we really living the life that Jesus called us to live? Are we really experiencing the joy? Are we, are our marriages strong? Um, are we confident? Are we hungry for God's word? Are we eager to share God with others? And uh, if any of those numbers are a reflection of, no, you know what, we're really battling love and money more than God, then that's where, that's where my heart is and my concern is. I'm thankful for a leadership in a church that does things like this. Um, $1.6 million came into Parkview and then went out of the walls like to campus ministry, to faith academy, to the spot, to global outreach, to mission trips. We have a $3 million budget. So 1.6 came in. Some of that's designated, but came in and went out of the walls. Like I just, I thank God for a leadership that thinks that way. And I, I, you know, it's interesting when ministry balance conversation comes up, my tendency is to look more towards the we got to be spending better. Like I think we could cut some things here. It's kind of like what I do at home, like like that. But I think it's always wise to have other voices in the conversation. It's why God gave me a wife. It's why you know God puts teams around us. And and so the other side is like, Doug. We got to also look like do we have an in, inflow issue? Like our, have we just not been clear with our people about the beauty of generosity and and the. Um, so I put that out there. And just again, I am not. I don't know. (laughs) My number one desire is for you to really love God and really see him provide for you in powerful ways. So here's a few next steps for you. A few next steps. Actually, here, we'll just throw one more thing out real quick. There's a a study that was done. What if Christians tithed? Globally, Christians give 2.3%. 2.3% is what evangelical Christians give. Uh, And the biblical kind of standard or guideline was about 10% and actually in the Old Testament was about 23%. So if if every Christian just tithed, what would happen globally? So there would be $165 billion that would come into Christian ministries. And from that, you could uh, take care of uh, preventable diseases, drinking water issues, illiteracy, global hunger, and you could fully fund all global outreach uh, in, in the world, and you would still have $100 billion left to spend and grow ministry. That's staggering. And then I I think the same thing in Parfus. Like, okay, what if, what if we, what if we tithed here? What if, like, Faith Academy fully funded? What if uh, global, we have 44 global workers? What if we even were able to, like, double what we do for them? What if we were able to increase uh, influence on campus, like, more staff in there? What if we could, you know, just whatever you could just, your head could spin, what could we do with that? And, um, I just, just keep laying that before God. So God, you, you show us. God, you move. You keep calling us into the life that is truly life. Help us be generous with what you've given us. So here's some next steps that we can take. Number one, bottom line, is to get into the scriptures and look and read. Don't just listen to me. Like I've given you key passages. Sit on those. That's a privilege I've had these last few weeks to just sit in these passages and look. What does God say? about money. And what is God calling us to do? Okay, so start there. The second one is keep track of your spending. Like, where is it going? And I've already mentioned that. But that will be the true indicator of your heart. That'll show what you're truly loving and truly trusting and track your spending. Um, there's an article I gave you, read the nine marks of a generous giver. That's a, that's a great article just to kind of read and just say, hey, how many of these practices are true of me? So So read that. Um, Rachel mentioned earlier there's a Dave Ramsey course coming up Um, some excellent training on just financial management about saving about spending about getting out of debt and then about giving okay so if you've never taken that I encourage you to if the money is an issue come talk to me we'll get you in there okay but I'd love to see you in uh, getting some training on finances that'd be good and then one other thing is that there's a verse in Malachi 3 uh, verse 10 where God says to his people, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and therefore put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What about taking a tithe challenge where for three months, like just starting the year out, what about these three months or these four months as you, and I'd encourage you to do this. As you look back at your last year, like we're, we're, Uh, And again, if you're tracking your money, where did your money go? How how generous were you? What about these first three or four months? You took God at His you took God at His word. Okay, God's calling me to be generous, and God will be faithful and generous to me. That God will respond. And so, just do that. God has invited us to do that. We're not one of those health wealth churches. Like, hey, if you do this, you're gonna you know, whatever. We're not going there. But just God rewards generosity, and it may not be in our accounts. It may be. In our, in our outlook, maybe in our joy, maybe being less worried about money and those kind of things. And, and so I would say from the time I was a kid, my dad used to teach me about 10% goes to God. It's God's. And so I started there. And, and there were times in my life where that was more out of duty than out of joy, but it was just what you did, you were supposed to do. And it just reminded you. And so God has been incredibly faithful. And what about 15, 20 years ago... God introduced me to a whole new concept about why are you stopping there? Like there's no way that God says, just stop. What if you just keep pushing that? And so this time of year, uh, traditionally for me, the last 15 years or so, has been a great time of looking back and seeing how faithful God was to provide for my family. And now as I look ahead in the next year, what are some ways I can keep pushing that out? What are some ways I can keep upping what we give? And every year, there has not been a year that I've looked back and said, well, that was a mistake like that was stupid. Like it's been more. And I say that as I'm saying that humbly because it's still hard for me as I think about, okay, this next year, what if you did this? What if you went here? There's still a part of me that immediately goes, "Eh, yeah, but you could, all the things I could do with that, you know? And so, but God will not let you down. And so um, I, again, not as a perfect man, a man who's still learning that, but I I encourage you toward toward generosity, a rational generosity. So let's close with these verses. I'm going to read to us. They'll be up on the screen from 2 Corinthians 9, uh, starting in verse 6. I'll just read them to us. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, listen to the superlatives. God is able to make all grace abound to you, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God Let me pray for us. God, we uh, just marvel at how irrationally generous you have been with us. And Jesus, we thank you for uh, your care for our hearts, that you warn us to be on guard against greed and against covetousness. And, and Lord, we need your help here. It is so easy to justify what we do and what we have in what we're doing in this area. So would you please, through your love, through your grace, just call us to reflect your irrational generosity. And so now, church, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take communion together. And this is a clear clear picture of the irrational generosity of God. And Jesus, we thank you that you have given your life for us, that you died for us. We didn't deserve this. We were sinners, we were rebels. And you died to make us sons and daughters and heirs. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.